Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks. I hope you had a great weekend. Today is Mailbag Monday, June 8th, 2020. I am your host, Jack Bushman, tuning in for the 153rd episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Be sure to subscribe to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. You'll be able to get the latest episode of Locked On Blackhawks as soon as it comes out each day, so make sure to go do that. Also, please go follow the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter page, which can be found at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks. Some good stuff will be posted there daily as well. By the way, this episode of Lockdown Blackhawks is brought to you by Bill Bar. Make sure to go to BillBar.com and use promo code LOCKDOWN in all caps, and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's LOCKDOWN in all caps to get $10 off. Why Bill Bar, you may say? Because Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and comes in eight different delicious nut or nut-free chocolate flavors. I currently am trying the salted caramel chocolate, which is only 110 calories while still high in protein and high in fiber. It's a breakfast bar that tastes like I'm eating a sweet and savory treat. One more time, that's locked down in all caps at BuiltBar.com for $10 off your first order. So thank you again for tuning in. It's been a couple of days now since our last episode, Flashback Friday. And to start off today's show, I'm going to talk a little bit about what occurred on Friday, and that was the NHL officially moving into Phase 2 of the Return to Play plan on Monday, June 8th, which is today now. So basically, Phase 2 states that the training facilities across the NHL will be reopened where a maximum of six players can be working out at a time to get some practice or training in with absolutely no contact with one another. So it's a baby step but another step in the right direction for hockey to make its return nonetheless. There was a bunch of info packed into the NHL's 22-page memo, but I'll run through the important stuff quickly for you because reading is overrated there. Reading 22 pages full of uh, NHL, yada, yada, yada. I'll give you the good details so you don't have to do that. Uh, One rule that I found interesting was that any player who lives in a city whose team they do not play for they are allowed to use that team's facilities. So any NHL player who has been quarantined in Chicago could use the Blackhawks practice facility at Fifth Third Arena per se. So I wonder if we'll get any of the Chicago boys like um, Vinny Hinostroza, Christian Dvorak, or Ryan Dezingle maybe practicing on West Jackson in any of the coming weeks. Could be uh, an interesting little story there. Uh, but I also kind of like this kind of random, but I also wonder if that could create some like weird situation. Like what would happen if the Blackhawks were, you know, talking in their group chat or whatever about going to hit a workout and like six of them show up together and there's like JT Comfer there. So the boys, all six of them aren't able to hop on the ice at one time. Someone's got to go do something else. Like even though it's the Blackhawks workout facilities, like I know that situation would probably never happen. Like Comfer would just probably be a good guy and bounce or, you know, They'd figure it out because that's how the boys are. But I just thought that that would be, uh, you know, maybe an interesting situation if Confer's just like, nah, bud, you know, I was here here first, I'll be up in a bit. So uh, I thought that was just an interesting rule. Uh, The NHL's memo also stated that uh, any player traveling to his team's facility, so people who are not quarantined in Chicago, uh, can uh, talking about the Blackhawks here, they would have to, Uh, be quarantined for 14 days if they are not arriving via private jet. They would take Southwest Airlines flight, I believe, which was the league mandatory flight if you're not going on a private jet. 
Uh, so that would be an interesting situation as well. Before you hit the practice facility, you have to be quarantined for 14 days by yourself. So the NHL is taking this seriously, very seriously as they have to. Uh, and they also stated that COVID-19 testing will begin 48 hours before entrance to the facility and then twice weekly going forward. And the condition of any player who does test positive will be treated as a, a hockey-related injury, which I also thought was kind of interesting. Uh, they, they said that the player would be diagnosed with an upper body injury of which there's no specific timetable for return. And I figure they <clears throat> probably did this to protect the player, but I think everyone will probably just assume that, you know, if it's just a random injury one day, you know, nothing really happened on the ice. All of a sudden this player is just gone. I think most people are going to assume uh, that he tested positive for coronavirus. So I get the idea here, but I really don't think it's going to matter in the long run because people are going to find out eventually. It's 2020 news breaks everywhere. People find out basically everything. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, a couple of other minor details. The coaches aren't allowed to participate in on-ice activities, but they can watch from a designated area. I guess this does just limit the contact between people, but I found that kind of odd. Like uh, they didn't, I thought it was kind of odd that they didn't uh, get more specific with the designated area. Like will the designated area be at ice level? Will it be from up top? Will the coaches uh, be able to, hold drills from these areas or are they going to be too far where the players are just, you know, going to have to do their thing and, you know, we'll be just like running scrimmages or whatnot. Um, so I think that's a situation that's going to be interesting to see once we get into phase three and phase four of the NHL's plan to return to play. Uh, also a interesting situation here with the goalies. Um, they can hire an independent coach to coach them one-on-one, but the person cannot be a team employee. So that's kind of an interesting situation as well. I I do get the decision behind that is, yes, they want to limit contact between these guys. Um, But I don't know if, you know, I mean, goaltenders, do they have personal coaches? I'm sure they probably do besides just, you know, the team's goaltender coach. So they'll probably bring in one of those guys. So it'll be interesting to see who Crawford and Malcolm Subban choose to bring in because it's not going to be Blackhawks goaltender coach Jimmy Waite. The league also recommends that players do not carpool with one another. So uh, if Siebes wants to come around to the rink, yeah, it won't be playing. But if he, if he wants to come around, he has to tell Alex Nylander to find his own ride to the rink as they have been housemates for uh, the majority of the year. I believe they're still – actually, they might not be living together. I've seen Nylander's been with his brother – for a while now they've been posting all over social media so maybe Alex isn't with Seeds anymore but uh if Alex is still sleeping there yeah the league does recommend not to carpool with one another uh, for obvious reasons and the NHL uh, also recommended that players should also constantly be washing their hands and using sanitizer and are told to uh, not shower at the practice facilities they're told to shower elsewhere so nothing too surprising in the memo really is you can kind of expect the league to err on the side of precaution just because the last thing they want is a rapid spike of cases within the NHL players causing just all sorts of chaos all over the place and a rift in the relationship between, you know, the NHL PA and the NHL. That's the last thing 
that anyone wants. It has to be like this. There's going to be a return to play. And I understand Batman and co going about their business the way they are. All right, coming up, I am going to talk a little bit about Blackhawks defenseman Duncan Keith's Instagram posts over the weekend and the state of the Blackhawks blue line heading into the playing series against the Edmonton Oilers. But first, I need to talk to you about Bilt Bar, which is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar comes in a variety of different chocolate nut or nut-free flavors, such as peanut butter brownie, double chocolate mousse, and German chocolate cake, all of which are completely covered in 100% real chocolate. Bilt Bars are magnificent tasting and also health conscious, so you can enjoy a tasty snack while also staying fit. Most of the bars are only 110 calories, while high in protein and high in fiber. What more could you want from a protein bar that tastes like candy? I am not lying when I say you need to go to BiltBar.com right now and use promo code LOCKDOWN in all caps to get $10 off your first order, which is a deal you just need to take advantage of. That's all caps locked on at BuiltBar.com to get $10 off your first order. Built Bar, a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. This is the Locked On Blackhawks podcast part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for listening today. I am your host, Jack Bushman. Be sure to check out my personal Twitter page, at JackBushman2, and my Blackhawks Twitter page, at TalkinHockey. That's capital T-A-L-K-I-N, capital H-A-W-K-E-Y. Also, make sure to subscribe and follow Lockdown Blackhawks for free wherever you listen to your podcasts and also on Twitter at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks to get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each day. Okay, we just wrapped up talking about phase two of the NHL's return to play plan. And now we are moving on to 36-year-old defenseman Duncan Keith's Instagram stories, oddly enough. Uh, if you didn't see the posts over the weekend, you might be able to still see them at Keith's Instagram, or you could probably just Google search Duncan Keith Instagram posts, and you'll see a couple articles written up about it uh, by a couple different sources. But if you didn't see over the weekend, Keith, or whoever runs Duncan Keith's Instagram account, posted a couple of uh, rugged workout pictures of Keith lifting weights and sitting in a sauna or a steam room, kind of glaring into the abyss there. And if you follow my talk and hockey account, you might have seen me joke about that as I made a post of the picture with the caption of Keith look at, looking off into the abyss, as I said. Uh, Duncan Keith thinking about how he's going to have to play 35 minutes a night every game for the Blackhawks to even have a chance. And, and that's probably not too far off considering the state of the Blackhawks defense this season. As most of you may know by now, Shutdown defenseman Calvin DeHaan is expected to be healthy by the time of the play in series versus Evan, Edmonton. And that will be a help, but Keith is still going to have to eat a lot of minutes in this postseason, which is nothing new to the Wolfman, as Kirby Doc likes to call him. But in all seriousness, Keith looks ready per usual to take on the heavy workload, doing some solid workouts there. Uh, Dunks, we know, has a tremendous work ethic and works really hard in the offseason, always doing cardio and ridiculous workouts. Uh, he has, I forget what they compared his, like, air capacity to. He can hold the same air capacity as something else, someone crazy. Um, but, yeah, guy works hard, uh, and he takes on, you know, a, a tremendous workload that the Blackhawks have given him for 10, 12 years now. 
Um, so I, I'm expecting Dunks to average around 25 to 28 minutes per game, depending on how things are going in the postseason. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, not too unrealistic at this point in his career because in 61 games this season, he did average 24-23 per game, which is up from his average time on ice in each of the last two years. And when the Blackhawks were getting thin on the blue line uh, in some meaningful games down the stretch, we saw Keith play more and more. So I expect that Carlton will give him that same uh, amount of ice time in these important games against Edmonton and going forward if the Blackhawks are able to advance. So, yeah, I do expect uh, Keith to be playing on that top defensive pairing with young Adam Boquist to kind of ease the rookie into the NHL uh, postseason because it, it is a different beast, especially with a, a physical team like the Oilers, that bottom six really can throw their weight around, Zach Cassian uh, and those guys. So Boquist has to be ready for that, especially as someone who's you know not really – fully grown into his body he's still got to gain some weight there he's only 20 years old so that will come with time but he's got to be ready if he's going to be playing with Duncan Keith those guys are going to be eating up minutes for the Blackhawks so I think um, Keith and Boquist I think that's the best situation for Adam Boquist to kind of get his feet wet uh, in postseason hockey Calvin DeHaan will also be a minute muncher in every game for the Blackhawks don't get it twisted he's going to be playing a significant amount He's the best shutdown option we have, uh, and he should be ready for that. He, he's got a career average of 20 minutes a game, and he played a significant role for the Carolina Hurricanes in the postseason last year, and he's got some playoff experience with the Islanders as well. So I expect DeHaan to see somewhere between his career average of 20 and 25 minutes per game, varying on uh, how many dumb penalties the Blackhawks just happened to take that night because he's going to be playing Probably a minute 20, a minute 30 out of every penalty kill. <laughs> uh, and if I, were the, if I were Jeremy Colleton, I would be putting Calvin DeHaan alongside Connor Murphy just so that the Blackhawks do have like a true shutdown pairing that can handle the likes of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Those guys are number one and number two in points in the NHL this season. So you need your best out there against them at all times, and that's DeHaan and Murphy for the Blackhawks. Murphy is an underrated and an underappreciated part of the Blackhawks' defense, and I don't think that he gets the credit he deserves for a pair of reasons. The first one simply being he was traded for Nicholas Jalmerson, which gets held against him, but it shouldn't be. Just because Jalmerson was one of the most loved players by the true Blackhawks fans in the city of Chicago, Hammer was such a crucial part of the success during the Blackhawks dynasty run. And Joel Quenville famously stormed out of a team meeting after learning that the front office had traded, uh, traded him away to the Arizona Coyotes. So anyone sent back to Chicago in exchange for that man is not going to sit right with a lot of passionate sports fans in the Chicagoland area, which, as I just said, it's very, very unfair. He sh shouldn't be held above him. But it is what it is. That, that's, you know, sports in Chicago. Another reason I believe uh, that Murphy doesn't get the credit that he deserves is because a lot of people see the Blackhawks' defense as a whole as bad, which, yes, that may be the case. But that does not mean that everyone on their decor is worthless. That's just not true. Besides having the injury bug a bit the last couple of years, Murphy actually has been pretty solid when healthy in his three years in Chicago. You can go look at hockey reference, go look at his underlying numbers. 
The possession numbers have always been better than what the team average have been, despite the fact that Murphy plays mostly in defensive situations. And looking at the hits and shot blocks this year, they were up a tremendous amount, which is exactly what we need out of Connor Murphy. We need him to be a utility man who can kind of just provide a little bit of everything out there. We need him to be tough in front of our goaltenders and physical, uh, playing well in the corners. We need him to stand up for the boys and fight every now and then. And we also, you know, we'll take a goal every now and then. We don't really expect offense out of a guy like Connor Murphy, but we saw him uh, display that shot he has from the blue line a couple times this year. So uh, we, we need him to be a strong anchor for us on the second pairing, and I think that's exactly what he can be for the Blackhawks going forward. And I think the more and more that Blackhawks fans see Murphy and they get accustomed to his style of play, the more they'll like him, the more he'll grow on people because he is the type of guy that you love and the type of guy that's meant for postseason hockey. He's relentless. He's tenacious. He'll dive in front of a puck, you know, block shots with his face. That's just the type of guy he is. He's a defensive defenseman, and uh, he's really growing into his own since uh, Jeremy Colleton has stepped in as Blackhawks head coach. And uh, I don't know if that's so much a credit to Colleton's coaching uh, tactics as it is just kind of Connor Murphy, I think, getting freed up from Joel Quenville's system and kind of being allowed to do his own thing. Quenville's kind of moving him to the left side and uh, playing him with Brent Seabrook and yada, a bunch of different things. So Murphy just kind of seems a little bit more comfortable now. And uh, that's really good news for the Blackhawks because uh, you look at the Blackhawks' defense in, in their pipelines, they have a lot of offensive defensemen. But guys like Calvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy, you know, they're going to complement those offensive defensemen well with strong play in their own zone. So I think it would be wise to put those guys together and see what they can do, uh, especially considering that the Oilers have one of the most potent offenses and power plays in the NHL. So I think the top four of Keith and Boquist and DeHaan and Murphy eating a majority of the minutes makes the most sense. As for the third pairing now, I've stated in a couple of previous episodes that I think Olimata and Slater Cuckoo would be wise to round out the Blackhawks' blue line. Some interesting stats here. Of any pairing with over 30 minutes together for the Blackhawks this season, Mata and Cuckoo, believe it or not, actually had the highest Corsi 4 percentage at 53.57%, which... Corsi doesn't always tell the full story, but still, that's impressive. That <laughs> You wouldn't guess it would be those two guys leading the Blackhawks in that statistic. And it wasn't like they played 40 or 50 minutes together or something. They were together for 367 minutes as a pairing this year, so a handful of games together with a bunch of success. I'd say give them, you know, 14, 16 minutes a game to give everyone a breather, and I personally think you could do worse. Now, I'm not saying go give them, you know, dominant to- or, uh, a significant amount of time against McDavid or Dreisaitl. But uh, Mata and Cuckoo, they're not scrubs out there. Ole Mata is a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Penguins, and he played a second-pairing role for those teams. The NHL is a bit faster than it was a few years back, which doesn't help Mata's cause, but he's certainly capable of handling third-line minutes. So uh, I think the Blackhawks could do worse on their third pairing. I expect... Lucas Carlson or Nick Sealer will take the seventh defenseman the seventh defenseman job. But I think at the moment that's just kind of a toss-up because neither really played too many games with the Hawks down the stretch. I think Carlson was probably the better of the two. 
but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they went uh, with the bigger and a little bit more experienced defenseman in Nick Sealer. Nicholas Bodan did make his NHL debut in the final game of the regular season versus San Jose Sharks, but I don't think he's going to be ready for playoff hockey just quite yet. I think the front office would like to see more from Bodan in regular season contests before, you know, throwing him out there to the Wolves as he's just not fully developed yet. Kind of like Boquist. If Boquist hadn't played in any NHL games, I don't know if the Blackhawks would be willing to throw him right into playoff games. But because, you know, he's played in half a season, you know, he's more than ready mentally. And uh, he's played in physical games before, so it won't be... Uh, it'll be a new experience, but it won't be anything too different because he knows the speed. He's gotten his feet wet a little bit. As for Bodan, a smaller offensive defenseman, uh, I just don't think it would be wise to put him in that situation. I think, you know, he could probably even use a little bit more time in Rockford, honestly. So NHL playoff hockey, not, not, uh, not up for Nicholas Bodan right now. I just don't think that's what he needs to be doing. I think he needs to be developing a little bit more, and um, I think he could be ready for the regular season next year, but uh, time will tell. So the Blackhawks also just have a handful of defensemen who fit in better than he does at the moment. So uh, in good time, Blackhawks fans, in good time, we will see Nicholas Bodan playing playoff hockey for the Blackhawks. Okay, in just a moment, we are going to switch it over to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast first Mailbag Monday segment where I answer answer a couple of questions from the fans before wrapping up today's episode. I am Jack Bushman, your host of the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. You can reach me on Twitter at JackBushman2 or at Talkin' Hockey, or you can also email the Lockdown Blackhawks email, which is LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com, for any questions regarding the Blackhawks, myself, or simply just life in general. Thank you again for tuning in to Monday, June 8th's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. We've already gone over phase two of the return to play plan and the Blackhawks blue line. But now it's time to hear from you, the Blackhawks and Lockdown Blackhawks podcast fans, as it's time for the Mailbag Monday segment, where a couple of lucky winners get their questions answered by yours truly. The first question came from Chris Rockford, all the way out in Denver, Colorado. Chris, thank you for tuning into the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Chris asked a two-part question here, or kind of a three-part question, the first being, Has there been any news on whether or not Ian Mitchell will be able to join the Hawks in the playoffs? I know originally he wasn't going to be able to, but that had changed to a maybe the last I had heard. The second part is, where do you see him fitting into the lineup if he does play? I can't imagine they would stick him and Boquist on the line by themselves, seeing as they're both young and more offensive-minded. Does Mitchell project to be a top-line D-man or more of a second-liner? So a lot of great questions there, Chris. Thank you for asking, and let's dive right in. All right, so to answer the first question about Mitchell's eligibility, it is still up in the air currently. Yes, originally he wasn't going to be allowed to play, and it is still a maybe at the moment. Recent reports stated that the league will have their decision made by July 1st, so keep your ears open for some potential big news in the next few weeks regarding that stuff. 
I could see the argument for not letting players in that situation play just because teams kind of had their final roster set for the year with only 10 or so games to go. So some of those college players could have been with their teams, but most of them in that situation would have not been in a playoff scenario like Ian Mitchell. Either way, though, it will be interesting to see what the league does decide to do there because it could affect a handful of teams. Now, if Mitchell is ruled eligible, here's where things get murky on the Blackhawks' blue line. You obviously don't sit the big three of Keith, DeHaan, or Murphy. Boquist has played well enough that he does deserve to be there over Mitchell at this point in the year. So that, you know, we have the four there, and that leaves us with Mata and Cuckoo or Lucas Carlson, who have been impressive. I mean, Mata and Cuckoo more specifically, those two guys have been impressive together this year. I, I still think you have to put Ian Mitchell into the lineup over probably Slater Cuckoo in that situation. Ole Mata with playoff experience, two-time Stanley Cup champion. You probably leave him in the lineup. Also being left-handed, he can play the left side. You could put Mitchell on his more natural right side in a third-pairing situation with limited minutes. I think that's probably the best situation for both the Blackhawks and Mitchell. You can't ju- you, I just don't think you can leave a kid with his potential and his skill set on the bench. I've seen him play live, and it was a year ago, and he looked ready. He was very dominant at Blackhawks development camp. One of three or four players there, you know, Kirby Doc, Ian Mitchell, um, Adam Boquist, those guys were the dominant ones. Alex Nylander, those guys were the ones who really stood out and looked just to be a, a step ahead of everyone else that they were with. So uh, Mitchell, I think, is beyond ready to make the jump to professional hockey. He likely could have done it a year ago. Uh, so I think you get him some practice, you start him game one, and you go from there. It's going to be a big jump from collegiate hockey, but he's ready for it at this point in his career. I, I really believe that. He's already played some meaningful games. World Junior with Canada, big hockey games, a big program. So yeah, it is a big jump, but I don't think it'll be you know anything a former captain of, as I just said, one of the top collegiate programs in the country. I don't think it's anything that he can't adapt to. As for his potential now, I definitely think he has the ceiling of a top-pairing defenseman with offensive upside. He and Adam Boquist are expected to become the number one and number two right-handed defensemen of the future for this organization, although I don't think the Hawks are expecting either of these guys to be second-pairing defensemen. The hope is that they landed two top-pairing defensemen and have a good problem on their hands of trying to find out which guy to give more minutes to. Boquist probably has the upper hand offensively, but I think Mitchell will be relied on more in the defensive zone while still chipping in on offense. Maybe a little bit more of a complete defenseman, while Boquist, I think, has the potential to be one of the best offensive defensemen in the entire National Hockey League. But I am really excited to see how Mitchell fares against grown men rather than uh, you know guys just the same age as him. So I am hoping that the NHL gives him the go for the 2020 postseason. I think it would make things very interesting for the Blackhawks on defense and uh, would really be the next step in the Blackhawks' uh, future on defense coming into their own. All right, so great question there, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, reach out and email me those questions you have about Ian Mitchell. 
The second winner of Mailbag Monday goes out to Eric G, who sent me an email as well, asking, with all the young defensemen in the Blackhawks system, can you talk about some of the more intriguing forward prospects that could be coming up soon? I, I thought this question tied in well with what we were just talking about, Ian Mitchell, a young defenseman coming up, and Adam Boquist, Nicholas Bodin as well. So I think now would be a good time to kind of uh, talk about some of the more, um, morely, more highly touted prospects, forward prospects in the Blackhawks system that we could see in the next couple of years. Very good question here, Eric. I appreciate it. So I, I agree. A lot of um, the forwards just kind of fall uh, into the ranks because of all the defensemen that the Blackhawks have. And Kirby Doc was the one major forward that everyone was really hyped up about. And we've seen him play in uh, 60 or so NHL games now. So he's past the prospect stage at this point in his career. So in my opinion, I would have to say at the moment, the top forward prospect in the system would be Philip Kirishev, a 20-year-old Swiss winger who was selected in the fourth round of the 2018 NHL draft by the Blackhawks a pick that they received in the Ryan Hartman trade. <laughs> now, it does sound kind of bad that a fourth-round pick is currently the top forward prospect in the pipeline, and honestly, it is, unfortunately. But Kirishev did break out since being drafted, and he could be a great value pick for being selected in the fourth round. <clears throat> in seven games at the U-20 World Juniors last year, Kirishev scored six goals and had one assist for Team Switzerland and really made his name known. That was his big coming out party, was at the World Juniors. I believe he led that tournament in goals. As I said, he scored six and seven games there. So the Blackhawks and Blackhawks fans uh, were really excited to see that Kirishev had a great tournament. And after uh, his success there, he made the jump to professional hockey this season, played in 36 games down in Rockford, and displayed his skill set uh, and versatility on numerous occasions tallying seven goals and 12 assists for 19 points in those 36 games while playing a pretty sound defensive game as well. So not bad at all for a young kid. Kirshev can also play center or wing, which you know makes him uh, someone that you can put in a lineup kind of anywhere, bottom six, uh, middle six. Blackhawks fans, I think you can kind of expect that to be what we'll see from Kirishev going forward. Someone who can play the wing or center position, maybe like Andrew Shaw-ish, with a, a you know, not not pesky like Andrew Shaw is, but uh, talking about his versatility, he can go up and down the lineup. Someone who can provide some offense as well, but just plays uh, a well-rounded game. So yeah, I'd, I'd expect him to be a second or third line forward that will surprise you every now and then with his offense, but I don't think he's ever going to blow up the stat sheet and be someone that you put on the first line. Um, I, I think he's got the potential to be an impact player for the Blackhawks in many different departments. I like what I've seen from him. Uh, he kind of has a knack for finding the front of the net in the dirty areas, scoring those gritty goals. So I think he is someone that uh, can be uh, can play a big part in the Blackhawks' future. Because I think they've kind of missed that third-line scoring touch in the last couple of years. I think someone like, you know, like a Dave Boland or an Antoine Vermette, guys that can 
go into the dirty areas and do those things, but can also, you know, you find him wide open on a two-on-one and he just goes bar down and can rip a shot home. I think that's the type of player that Philip Kirishev can be for the Blackhawks, and that's why, uh, in my opinion, he is the top forward prospect in the Blackhawks system right now. He could be pushing for a roster spot during training camp next season, or he also could see more time in Rockford, as I said a moment ago, just 36 games in his professional career. So uh, we'll definitely see Kirishev at some point down the road, but we're not exactly sure when that will be at the moment. One other guy I would keep an eye on is Evan Barrett, who it feels like Blackhawks fans have been talking about forever now. And finally, he will be making the jump to professional hockey next year after three impressive seasons at Penn State. Barrett signed his entry-level contract back in early April to forego his senior season, and he will likely get some time in Rockford under his belt before stepping onto the big stage in Chicago. Barrett was selected in the third round of the 2017 draft and has scored some highlight real goals in college that have gotten Blackhawks fans super excited about this kid's future. I kind of project Barrett to be in the same boat as Kirashev, a middle six forward that can play the wing and also can play center. Uh, he's got some skill to his game and also can play in the dirty areas a little bit. Uh, Barrett's shown, though, that he can produce offensively. Uh, Penn State, the last two years, he's been a point-per-game guy, and he was producing at that same rate during his time with uh, the USNTDP. So, but now it's time for Barrett to live up to those expectations, which honestly could be a little bit too high for a player of his caliber, but just because the Blackhawks don't really have that many uh, highly touted forwards in their system, people kind of could be expecting a little much for Barrett. We've, we've seen plenty of college studs not find their way into the or uh, struggle to, you know, really adapt to the NHL game and the speed. Kaffa, Dylan Sakura, not to throw him under the bus. Um, so those those things happen. I, I would not say that Barrett is a shoe in to be uh, a good middle six producing forward for the Blackhawks, but I think that's what you know his expectations and ceiling will be. I think the ceiling will be a second line winger that has you know maybe. 50 points. Um, but yeah, I, I think he and Kirishev are those middle six guys that will give you some offense to play some sound defense. Um, and just kind of, kind of tweeners in the lineup. You can slot them kind of anywhere and, uh, they'll, they'll kind of give you what they do. So not exactly some big faces in the Blackhawks organization, but a couple guys that in a couple of years that we could see down the road, making a difference and, and pitching in for the Blackhawks. Sadly, it is a thin prospect pool, so uh, a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick are two of the top guys, but uh, that doesn't mean that they can play a big part in the future. Uh, I think that both these guys are going to see a little bit more time at Rockford before they do crack the roster next season, and I think that's okay. I think that's probably what best what's best for them at this point, but with the Blackhawks having to make some interesting decisions this summer, Regarding the likes of Drake Kajula, um, they're, they're just gonna—they might have to make some some room because of the cap situation. They have to go re-sign Dominic Kubalik, uh, Dylan Strom, and also a, a couple other guys. They got to get a goaltender as well. So some guys could be traded out to make 
some uh, room financially. And we could see guys like Evan Barrett and Philip Kirishev uh, pushing for a spot on the Blackhawks opening night roster next season. Bottom six really could be up for grabs. So it will be see it will be interesting to see what happens in that department during the next offseason. Great question there, Eric. I really appreciate you asking. All right, so I think that is going to wrap up Mailbag Monday, June 8th's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show and make sure to give the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter page a follow at capital L capital O underscore Blackhawks. Also, be sure to subscribe and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode of Lockdown Blackhawks as soon as it's out each day. And after the show, ask your smart device to play the Lockdown NHL podcast for all the latest news about a potential return to hockey in the coming months. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. I am Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at Jack Bushman 2 or my Blackhawks account, at Talkin' Hockey. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-H-A-W-K-A-Y. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, you can also email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com or call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. Until next time, enjoy the rest of your Monday, even though that's hard to do. And thank you again for tuning in.